Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you are joining me today for another great episode to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. That is what this podcast is all about, and uh, I am excited to bring you another great episode and conversation today with an all-star guest who is really going to help you think more about how to deal with the latest trends, take advantage of what's going on with the trends in work, in career development, and especially with the topic of skills mapping, which is our topic for today. Our guest is someone I met through one of our community members in the Talent Development Think Tank community. I had a chance to meet him recently and have learned that he has quite a large network and following of people who are fans of his. So I'm excited to get into this interview with Derek, uh, sorry, interview with Darren Nerland. Darren Nerland is a trailblazer in the field of learning and development and someone who always is examining the latest trends and chasing innovation and new skills. Darren specializes in discovering and developing new learning strategies and skills mapping systems that fuel growth and performance, lighting up the pathway to a vibrant and imaginative future. Darren is an award-winning keynote speaker with experience working for Amazon, Microsoft, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And he's also the founder and host of the Lerna Palooza Conference in Seattle. Darren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Andy, for allowing me, and I feel honored to be on this podcast. And can I just say one thing? Yeah. So, so you you mispronounced my name, which is awesome because for for my whole life, while my grandfather was alive, he would call me David, Derek, anything but my name. And for some reason, it was just you know it was one of those kind of mental <laughs> things for him. It was a great great grandpa and all that, but he, it was the only name in the family he got wrong. Every single time, it was this joke. It was this joke within our family of like, "Oh, hey, David, come over here." I'm like, "I'm like, no one's correcting Grandpa, but thank you for making it a joke, right?" So, oh but it gosh. was, but um, I love it. I, I love just it. Things I, off calling you David. You know, as I was it's thinking, a, it, I recorded. It's, it's okay. No, no, please, and do not bleep that out because I think that is awesome. Right. And, and, well, you know, and we're and we're human. So that's yeah. the, that's the I guess point. We'll, of, I guess we'll leave that in. I was thinking as I was as I was reading the intro that okay, we're going to edit that part out. But no, we're gonna we're gonna leave it in. We're we human. are human. Uh, I just I started by we were prepping and I said you know <laughs> don't worry about it. we haven't had our progress over perfection. Here we go. We we get things off going and that's funny about your grandfather. And you know it reminded me before I went out on my own. I worked in consulting and when I started out, my best friend at work was a guy named Adam. And there was a senior guy in the office who always mixed up our names. He always called me Adam and him Andy. And it right, was just became right? this like running joke that like, you know, he couldn't ever keep it straight. So we just call it, start calling each other, you know, our other names. And it just nice, got exactly, exactly office, right. But, you know, right. Fun times. Darren, I'm, I'm excited to have you here. Like, you know, like I said, in the intro, your, your reputation precedes you. I, I know you're out there creating a lot of great things. I know you're a lifelong learner studying all things that are going on in the world of work. And uh, I'm excited to get into your background and some of your uh, experience and uh, what you're doing with this uh, idea of skills mapping we're going to talk about. But I want to start with yeah. your session at ATD, the big conference that happened back in May uh, in San Diego. I was there. Yeah. You and I got a chance to meet in person briefly. You came we to did. my session very kindly, you know, brought a, brought your book, brought my book over uh, and I we did. got a chance to shake hands and meet. After the conference, uh, I debriefed with quite a few of uh, our talent development think tank community members who were there. 
And we talked about, everybody shared sort of like their highlights, their takeaways, the best sessions they attended. And your name kept coming up again and again, more than any other name. And, you know, there were 9,000 people at this conference. I'm assuming there were probably over 200 sessions. I have no idea, but I heard more about yours than anyone else's. And I didn't get a chance to see it. So uh, I wonder if you could just share a little bit about, you know, what, what did you do with your session there? And why do you think, I I know you're a humble guy, but why do you think it was so impactful for people? So, so my session was about mapping the skills of the future hmm. and, and which is kind of, those, you know, you have to create a, you know, a snazzy title and stuff like that, which I think that was the grab, you know, or the hook, you know, it was like mapping the skills of the future. Right. Hmm. Because I, and the reason why I think it was popular and why people came was there's this kind of, um, in the talent and learning community, there's this interesting opportunity that we have, and yet we haven't quite grabbed it yet of understanding how in that talent and, and learning space, how we really look to the future and then and then start mapping those skills three to five years out, mapping them back to our workforce today and figure out how do we upskill, reskill, and then bring in people as needed to fill these roles as we move forward. So I think that was a catalyst for it. And then there's also that the um, the oh crap moment, right? So the oh crap moment of, wow, we are at this point in time where jobs are being replaced by automation and AI and that sort of thing so quickly and roles are changing and, and skills are, have a shelf life of maybe maybe a year, year and a half. And, you know, um, you know, and, and all of our skill, 50% of our skills over the next three years will be different than they are today in, in most roles. So, so I think that was kind of the catalyst for it was, wow, you know, what do we do? How do we do this? This guy named Darren, you know, has a little bit of background in this is, you know, is studying the future stuff studied, you know, what, what is it like to be an archaeologist, but, but plan for the future, right? So that's the way I always think about it is you have to, to study like an ar- archaeologist, think like a futurist, and then act like an innovator. Those, those, mm-hmm. That's my, that's kind of my tagline. So if you do that well, if you do that well, and you, and you have to do all three, you can actually, I, I, I believe, and I've seen this, you know, in, in action, is I believe we can prepare the, the workforce of the future for these different skills gaps that we're going to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is, that is a really important topic and some eye-opening stats or things you're saying there that if, if you say mm-hmm. you know, for many mm-hmm. positions, yeah. I always like to say when I talk in my book, I talk about the future of work and preparing for the future work that, you know, there are many jobs that that existed 10 years ago that obviously don't exist today. Exactly. Many, many exactly. jobs and careers that exist today that didn't exist 10 years ago. My always like right. to because I love social media is you know, 10 years ago, it would have been rare to find a company with a social media manager. And now you've got companies with whole teams, right? And, and now yeah. those teams yeah. are needing to quickly adapt to AI and the things that are going on and how social yeah. media is changing. Yeah. You know, obviously we, as you and I record this, we just had some major changes in social media with, with Meta releasing their new threads platform right. to challenge right. Twitter. And there's always things right. going on like that. Obviously like some, yeah. some controversy around TikTok and and things like that. And that's just one tiny example, right? In in the working world. And yeah. so you said 50% of skills are going to change or be different for a lot of positions within the next three years. That's a big shift. Most positions, most roles in an organization, about 50% of your skills are going to change. And and mostly it's because of AI and automation. My role has changed, you know, people in learning and development, chat GPT came out November 2021. It didn't know at first that the queen had died, but okay, they fixed that part of it, right? And 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 now that 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 
that algorithm and, and that machine learning is in the background of a lot of things that change the way we produce learning. And it should, it should be, you know, we should use these as tools and resources. We got to be careful with some of it when we think about bias and, and that sort of thing, but it, it's automatically changed any learning experience designer. It, it, it's changed their skill sets and, and that's going to continue to happen. But again, that's just one example within, within our community, but it's, you know, uh, uh, across most industries, that's going to be the, the same, same. Case. Yeah. Well, speaking of learning experience, just to get back to the mm -hmm. ATD session question to complete that, mm -hmm. because the topic is obviously very interesting, but I would imagine if you just stood up in there and talked, you know, people wouldn't be saying as many great things, right? I imagine mm -hmm. you, you found some way to make it interactive and get people involved. You know, what, what did you do with that session to make it really interesting? So, so I'm, I'm a big believer that you know, the, the idea of sage on stage is, is kind of, th that's the way, you know, my father used to learn. And we had this conversation when I first got into learning and development, I was telling him how I thought people should learn. He's like, wow, we used to sit there and just learn by taking notes and stuff. And, mm. and, I, and I told him this is years ago, this is 20 some odd years ago. I said, I don't believe that's how people learn. And so, so you're right. I, I try to engage people. So what I do and what I did at ATD is I have them break out their phones. I have them, you know, research. I said, these are the things that we're going to, you know, talk about is, you know, how do you look to the future? So let's start looking up some jobs that are changing. Let's look at, let's look those things up. Let's have discussions with each other within the room. Right. So I have, you know, basically 55 minutes to make an impact on people and maybe, maybe 25 minutes of that. I'm talking the rest of that time. I'm, I, I'm saying this is this is a provocative idea. Let's explore this. So explore it with your neighbors. Let's come back. Let's have a you know discussion on it. Go out and research something. You know, and and again, these are these are these are quick things. You know, so we do things within my my favorite timing is seven minutes, right? And so I don't do five minutes. I do don't do ten minutes. I do seven minutes. I say seven minutes. You have this to do. And so yeah, I, I try to help them people solve problems right then and there. And so sometimes we can do that in a really effective way. Sometimes it just gives them a, a, an idea or a thought to take away and then go back to their teams and solve those problems in a very similar way. So I try to give structure and, and a framework that allows them to solve problems because they can listen to me all day long and I may have some great things to say and, and, and quote some statistics, but if they don't come away with something that you know, nugget that says, well, I could take this back, then, then I don't think it's worth their time. So that, that I hope is what people talked about and what they got out of it is that they were engaged because not because of listening to me, but because I said, here's the ideas, here's the thoughts. Now go do research, talk to your neighbor, talk to your teams when you get back to, to work. Yeah. And this is something I need to get better at. I'm always trying to get better at because even though I am historically a facilitator and I like getting conversations going over the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot more keynote speaking and I'm still trying to find ways to you know engage the audience more. And although I, I like to think my sessions are pretty engaging, but really drive more discussion. And sometimes yeah. I, I fall into the trap of like, I have so much to say. I just need to keep talking. You, right? you, you do. It's hard. And, and you do. And I do too, in my, in my, in my area of expertise. Yeah. And I want to share all that knowledge, but we already know know that you know that you can't just get up there and just share all your knowledge because right. that's not how people learn right even though we're so passionate about it. so yeah i'm i'm right there with you and by the way the keynote thing that's a negotiation i found with with lots of conferences doing a session is great because they allow you to do those things they want it to be engaging when you do a keynote you're supposed to be that inspiration stuff i yeah. said i want to get the audience involved they're like 
oh wow oh okay. you know, like, you're like wait a minute how much of that and i'm like well everybody's got a cell phone let's just do a couple things and so yeah. so what i found is that it's a little bit of a negotiation to do that and the reason i say is because i've done a couple of keynotes at smaller conferences last year in in south africa i keynoted yeah. at wow. a learning conference and it was that negotiation of like mm, we've never had a keynote really do it that way i'm like Right. How's the time? That's cool. Hey, you're innovative, yeah. right? And and it also like you've got to take into consideration the audience, the setup, the platform. Is it live, virtual? Absolutely. Sort of All of that. All of that. I've got a sure. big keynote yeah. coming up this week for I think it may be over a thousand people virtually. Awesome. And okay. So there's you know okay. limited with the number of things I can do. But I'm going to still try to engage the audience. I just sent the okay. client over a bunch of poll questions. I want them to load up into Zoom so we can, you know, get nice. people answering things and we can address the type of stuff that, you know, where people are going. We'll get some comments, questions going, stuff like that. So there's always things you can do, but I love that you're Absolutely. Sort of pushing the envelope, getting envelope, you know, engagement. I like the the seven minute rule. It's sort of in between that, that five and 10. Getting back to the work you're doing and this skills mapping, and if we just zoom out a little bit more to take a macroeconomic uh, macroeconomic view, how do you see the working environment changing these days? Obviously, we've gone through a lot of change over the last few years, pandemic, mm-hmm. great resignation, and then now you know the tech world having challenges in the beginning of 2023, and now things sure. seem to be coming back. Like, What do you see with regards to the working mm-hmm. world and, and how careers are changing? Yeah, I, I think the, there's lots of discussion in the talent community, rightfully so, you know, because organizations are starting to ask these really hard questions of, you know, what does our talent look like today? Do we really understand the skill set that we have across our organization? And, and the reason for that, I think, is actually pretty obvious in that, you know, it's really hard to I'll take one example. So there's lots of organizations that are struggling to hire data scientists right now. Data science is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, AI engineers, that sort of thing. So these high-level engineering principal type of roles, right? And they want to move people up into those roles, and they can, but as soon as they do, that that means that there's a shortage of of other people that aren't, do, you know, that they can't do, you know, you can't do this because this person's too important in this role. So if I move them up, I'm I'm missing something. So they try to hire for these 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 really interesting and um, expanding roles and, and roles we need today. And yet we, you know, we haven't in the past, we haven't done an effective job of upskilling and reskilling within our workforce. And because we can't hire in some of these, these pivotal roles at, at all levels of the organization, by the way, is now organizations are starting to think, wow, if I had a talent marketplace for myself, mm-hmm. and it's not a job marketplace, right? It's not, it's not here. Here's your internal job, just, you know, job, you know, a board right, and stuff like that. Board, it's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's a talent marketplace where I can actually say, here's the skills I have. What are the skills that align to other roles? And that sort of thing. So those are the things that I'm seeing happening out there. When you start talking about that, though, and by the way, and then there are also more people are more concerned about the future skills because, again, as soon as you, if you do a traditional kind of skills gap and analysis, that takes anywhere from six to eight months. I've done this before. I've built competency, you know, maps for organizations in the past that took you know six months to develop. As soon as you do that, by the way, you, those skills that have changed, right? So, so hey, here's where we're at today. Now in six or eight months, those skills have changed. So, so my idea is, is you know, let's do a little bit of where we're at today, but in, in parallel, let's also think about the future future roles and how do we get there. And so there's a lot of discussion about that, and and that also then falls into the you know kind of the category where where you know people start thinking about what does a skills framework look like and what does a good one look like. And so 
I actually just in the ATD July magazine, I, I wrote an article for them on, I think it's called navigating the future of work, creating a skill strategy for now and tomorrow. That was, mm. that, that was, that's not that. So the meat of it is, is mine. The title they, they crafted from my witty yeah. comedic title of like, let's get, let's get our shit together and work, you know, towards the future or something like that. Right, but, right. but, but that's, you know, they latched onto that pretty quickly, you know, after my, uh, my conference said, wow, we, my conference session, they said, well, we really need to focus on on this. I'm like, yeah, yeah you do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Can yeah. you give us, I know we don't have time to go through the whole article, but can you give us like just the, you know, the kind of high level of, of the framework of what people need to be thinking about? Yeah. So I, I think it is, you know, so, so there's kind of a few components to that, you know, there's seven or eight components to it really, you know, when you think about, when you think about creating a skills framework, so yes, you have to assess the current skills and, and identify those skills gaps. You have to research the future roles and what are those essential skills so there's essential skills that you're going to need. There's going to be some specialty skills for sure. We need to focus on some of those. But what are the essential skills that your department, your company is going to need? Then you create a strategy for reskilling and upskilling those employees. And then you start developing kind of those, those personalized learning experiences and that sort of thing. Within there, you have to dive deeper, right? So you have to say, well, what is our, when you say skills framework, there's a you know, a taxonomy and ontology that you have to agree upon within your organization. And it can be within a department of saying, these are the kinds of skills. This is what we mean by these skills. There's lots of industry standards out there too. So when I talk about, you know, engineering skills or, or you know, uh, technical skills, those are things that are pretty standard across industries. I, I, again, this is one of those things where I don't think you have to take, take it on yourself to do some of these things. I think you have to be flexible as an organization to to think about that taxonomy and that ontology, but then you have to assess those skills. So, so creating a assessment that allows you to assess those skills on a rubric of, let's say, one to five or one to eight, that, that sort of thing. Uh, again, there's lots of rubrics out there. You know, there's no reason why we have to recreate the wheel on some of these things. Uh, but doing that, when you do that, and and by the way, I'm a big believer that you don't you don't have to just do it for technical skills. You can do that for those those right. professional skills or those power skills, right? The things that we used to call soft skills that really are pretty hard. So I think that you can do that uh, and, and assess people in a way that, you know, 360 assessments, those sort of thing, that you can get a pretty accurate picture of where your skill set are, uh, it, yeah. sorry, is across the organization. And then you move towards, you know, how do we then build those skills in, our, in the organization? Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is it's really the essence of this idea of skills mapping is that you need to start by looking at you know where things are in your organization, where do you see things going, what are the skills that are going to be needed in the future, what sort of strategy do you want to put together to address those, and then what skills do you need in different types of roles, and before you even go out and you know bring your recruiters in and say we need to go hire these types of people, look at what right. skills exist already in your organization and and who can you upskill and reskill. And, yeah. even, you know, can you create that type of talent marketplace where people can move mm-hmm. and join or, 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 or jump on different teams and different roles, leveraging mm-hmm. the talent yeah. right inside your organization? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Spot on there, Andy. And if I could say something provocative in that, yeah. in that I believe that our job descriptions don't work. So within within organizations, the way we recruit, the way we hire, our job descriptions that, that I've seen today don't work. We need skills-based job descriptions, not summaries, not here's what we think the tasks are. Understand what the actual tasks are and what the skills are for, for a role. Those two things are what you need. You know, So areas of responsibility are fine. 
but but if you don't go past that you tend to hire people that may or may not be that person that you need in the next six months to a year to two years and, and i hear this over and over again from people is that you know i asked this question in fact i think i pretty sure i asked this i in fact i know i did is you know when's the last time you looked at your your job description and it was literally most people said within their first two weeks of, of getting hired i said right. was it accurate and the answer was 90 percent yeah. of the rooms were said no and i'm like oh i wonder why oh probably because they didn't focus on the tasks and skills they focused on areas of responsibility or a summary of the role and that sort of thing which is true in the moment but we tend to use those job descriptions you know, for five years until we reevaluate, reevaluate some of these things. So I think we need to get better at, at, at the very beginning of the pipeline, as well as internally of, of how we're going to shift people into different roles. And it has to be ask and skill based and, and having that good understanding of what that's going to look like today and then in the future and, and see if people want to build towards that. Yeah. And I'm seeing, you know, in my conversations with lots of people around learning and development, career development, most big companies, especially in the tech and software industry are trying to figure out how to build that internal talent marketplace and start they to are. leverage the skills that are in, you know, in the organization already and um, do some form of, of skills mapping. So, and, and they're still going to need to hire from outside. Right. But the idea is Absolutely. That, yes. you know, let's try to take advantage of talent we already have as much as possible and help them also develop and grow in their careers because people do kind of want to grow and do different things. Sure, you don't yeah. have to go down the, the yeah. rabbit hole of like, how do you create the culture that supports that? Because that's an important part, right? In leadership, we could talk about those things. But what I would do want to ask you about is how do we connect education and learning programs to close these skill gaps? Because you know the skills might be there or the potential skills might be there, but obviously there's yeah. a lot of learning and development or upskilling that needs to be done. So I said earlier in the conversation that, that I helped develop competency maps for lots of organizations. And, and I, I, not that I don't believe in competencies. I think competencies are great, um, but that's knowledge, skills, and behaviors. And most people, you know, when I want to level up in a job, I don't, I don't, and most people outside of HR don't understand that. They don't understand that what a competency is and what it's comprised of. Although notice that I said knowledge, skills, and behaviors. Behaviors is, is things I can that I want to change, right? But that's a personal choice too. And then the knowledge thing is easy. I can tell people all day long what to do and go read a book or go learn this program. It's the skills that part. So, so from an education and learning perspective, we have to start planning and developing learning that, that apply to skill building. And so oftentimes our learning objectives, which are right on, they're like, hey, you need to be able to do this, this, you know, our goals are this, you know, but, but I would take it a, a step further and say, how does this align to the skills you need with your organization? If you're going to do a leadership program, what are the 10 skills and what's the level of skill development as people come out of this leadership program? What are they going to come away with? Is it things like giving effective feedback? If it is, then we should then we should assess them before the program and then six months after the program. Are they utilizing that knowledge and transferring it to skills? And so when you do that, when you actually put and again, it's not a competency. So you can say, hey, business acumen as a competency, great. But when I when I drill down into that, what are those specific skills that I want those managers or leaders or, or employees to know? So I always say align learning and education to skills. And then you're going to impact the business because now you're creating that pipeline and you're actually being able to, to, to tell the C-suite or, or prove the C-suite that you're, that you're building those skills through assessments, 
You can then track it through things like attrition and, and pulse surveys and stuff like that. But you have to be very targeted in saying these are the skills we're, we're building along with creating these really great outcomes, you know, for this particular curriculum. And, and again, that goes across the board, whether it's technical skills or leadership or power skills. Yeah, it just goes back to that question, right? Keeping the the end in mind, like what do you want to change as a result? Like what do you want? Absolutely. To do, right? Absolutely. What do you want the results to be? And then you can start yeah. to figure out how do you measure the impact of that? How do you evaluate things before and after? So you know that you're actually doing the right thing, making a difference, not just creating training you for training. It. You're you being it. more strategic and, and consultative. I would imagine too with I'm hearing, and I don't do as much in talent and performance management, but these are things that a lot of people and organizations are working on revamping, that mm-hmm. this would connect there as well when you look Absolutely. at that whole talent management process. So how do you see that working? Yeah. So I, so again, I'm, I, I tend to be a little bit, you know, I don't know if I'd say provocative, but I tend to, to push back a little bit when we say, you know, talent management or performance management, because mm-hmm. I don't think that's what it is. I think if, if you have to, if I'm a manager and I have to performance manage someone, then I haven't done my job effectively. Mm-hmm. What it is, is performance enablement. So if we're going to enable people to perform, then when I sit down with them as, you know, as a manager in my one-on-ones and have a dialogue with them, what I'm really doing is I'm asking them what are the tools and resources they need to be better at their job. So how do, how do we help them be more proficient in the skills that they need? Again, whether it's technical, functional, or, or power skills and having an honest conversation, that's how then I can start developing a talent, uh, a talent development plan for them. And that's how it's going to be the most effective for people is, is because then they can look at those and say, Hey, I'm building the, let's focus on let's these five skills over the next six months. When you say that to someone, then, then they say, great, I've got, I've got a, you know, target at the, you know, at the end of those six months, this is what I'm going to do to help solve those problems. It's not so, it's not so big that they feel like they're overwhelmed. You tell them how it get, it fits in with the, um, with the, uh, the goals of your department or within the organization, then people buy into it. When you say, Hey, we need to sell X number of widgets, or we need to, um, you know, we need to up, you know, our quality rate, that doesn't help people that much. All it does is say, okay, you know, and now, now you're trying to let them kind of figure out on their own what that means. And, but, but if we focus and we say, well, how can we do this together? Now you start having a discussion about that and say, oh, here's what I think I need, Darren, in order to help that process, right? So those discussions are not easy to have for, for manager, mid-level managers that don't have that kind of experience. So I, mm-hmm. I do think that it's changing the way we think about talent enablement and and how we're thinking about performance or how we should think about performance. I love that. And I love that you said from performance management to performance enablement, I'm working on a new book right now about leadership and my, Yeah? yeah, I strongly believe that the main role of leadership is to enable and empower your people to succeed, right? And it's all about enabling. Got you got it, man. So, uh, yes. I appreciate you confirming Great. or affirming that. <laughs> right you know, on. It's about enabling right on. your people. It. But it's very hard, right? And it involves, you know, sure, sort of sure putting your ego aside, being a little bit more uh, vulnerable, being willing to just uh, say, I'm going to support people. And, and even yeah. if they're more successful, like that's going to make me more successful, but it, it involves some faith. And keep in mind, there's pressure from the top, right? There's pressure from the top to 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 show progress and and to show impact. As a as a leader, you have to you have to understand that that we companies aren't built on on machines or or purely on sales. It's built on people. And so when we have that good understanding at the leadership level, mid level managers also have to understand that. And even though that there's pressure from from above, 
that those leaders should be having that same conversation about if we build people, yeah, or sorry, if we help people grow, we will build a a, a learning organization. We'll build an organization that is that is successful because we we help people grow. And and it's good. I mean, lots of studies on this, right? We could we could talk about that all day long. I think I think the challenge is that it is hard, and it is something that we don't always especially new managers coming into role with some of that, you know, with some of that context and some of that learning that helps them in those skills for them. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. And you mentioned studies like uh, the, the latest McKinsey study from last year showed that the top reason yep. people leave organizations is lack of perceived career growth, right? People want to know how am exactly. I going to grow and the organization right. plays a big role, but not as big as the leader, right? And how the manager right. supports them. Right. And they always say people join organizations, leave managers. I think they're leaving now because Hey, I don't necessarily see where I'm growing. And right, so right. I'm going to go try to do this somewhere else. Darren, kind of closing the loop on this whole idea of skills mapping for our listeners who work in talent development, who are nodding their heads and saying like, yeah, we, we need to do more of this. What's sort of like the first step or the next thing people can do to you know, get themselves started in this area? It's a great question, Andy. And honestly, so I, I said this earlier on is, is don't boil the ocean. Don't, don't mm. try to say, Hey, across this big, you know, organization, whether it's 10,000 people, hundred thousand people, don't try to say, Hey, across the board, we have to get this, this framework done, you know, and, and we have to take six months to do it. Start small, start, you know, look across your organization and say, where can, where, where can we have the most impact if we focused on, on just creating a program that would upskill people in their current role and where we see that that role changing over the next two or three years if you if you do that then you'll start to create you know this you'll start creating this kind of your own framework right so so what are those skills so you'll you'll start you know have small task forces you know about hey let's do some research on it so so i think that's where you start you start with you know even though i i'm a big believer we have to focus on the future skills but what are those relevant skills today and what and how that's going to shift over time? And just focus that within a department or team first. And if we do that well, then we can start expanding that out. But let's do some, let's do some, you know, you can call it a pilot or a beta, whatever you want. Let's do that first. And then you can start rolling that out and getting getting to scale quicker than you can if you try to, you know, do this as a big organization or as a big department. So that's what I that's what I encourage people to do is, is again, the two things is what are the skills gaps that we have today? And let's just do it quickly. Do, do a few task forces, do some interviews in that survey, do it within a month and say, okay, here, we're going to focus on these five skills for the next six months. While we're doing that, we're going to see what that trajectory looks like for this role in these, in these, and the new skills. And then we're going to add on to that. So then at the end of that year, you know, and, and again, I'm expanding as I do this, I'm expanding into other departments and stuff like that. So it's not like we're just going to wait for that year to be up. But so I tend to run several pilots of this, but I, I see lots of success there when people say, oh, these are the five skills I need today and that are going to be really important tomorrow. And then here, you know, add on to that. Here's five skills that we think are going to be really important in the next, you know, two to three years. That's only 10 skills that you have to focus on and align to. And, and you can see, you can see a lot of business impact on that. If you, if you do those, if you do that in that way. Yeah. Boom. Some great advice right there on how to get started with skills, mapping, <clears throat> changing subjects before we wrap up, Darren, as we were chatting before this conversation, this interview, you told me you have sort of a growing passion around learning with neurodiversity and bringing more uh, awareness yeah. to that topic. I wonder if you could share your experience and, and what you're seeing and what, what you think can be improved in organizations. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I wasn't diagnosed with AD, 
be until you know later in life. And so growing up, I knew there was something going on that that I couldn't really wrap wrap my head around. And and I was using you know my own ingenuity to, to get through things like school and to learn new things, and you know and that sort of thing. And so. What I realized is I was, again, before, even before I was diagnosed, I, I, I thought about the way people learn. And, and you know, we have, we've debunked the myth that, you know, someone is kinesthetic only or someone is auditory mm-hmm. in auditory yeah, so. learning. Thankfully, you know, yeah. And so, you know, it took us some time to, to get there. But I always had that kind of feeling of like, actually, you know, I, my dad used to have a planet, plastic manufacturing uh, um, uh, company here in Seattle, and he'd, he, he, would, he would teach me things. And it was all, and I would listen to him. We would do hands-on. I would repeat back to him and I was like, this is how people learn. This is how I learn. And mm-hmm. so I, and, and yeah, there's some people that want to sit down with a book. Great. But how do we bring those things all together? Right. So, so when I got diagnosed with ADD and then I also have a neurological disease called neurosarcoidosis that affects some of my cognitive abilities. I stutter sometimes and, and that sort of thing. I, I realized that I needed to have tool sets that helped me. So, so within, from a learning perspective, that idea of repetitive learning, of space learning, is a is a big deal for people that have you know you know that have ADD but are also on the spectrum that sort of thing. So I think from a learning perspective, we need to be a, you know sensitive to the people in our organization that don't that can't just come to a day long class and ex, and expect that they're going to get everything out of it that someone else might. So can we do you know can we do follow up training? that allows people to kind of go in and get those nuggets of information that, that are so important and not make it required for everybody, but for those people that, that, you know, again, you know, I'll be sitting here now, now this is only an hour conversation, Andy. So I'm not looking out my window yet, but I've been in meetings, two or three hour meetings, right. Where I'm a strategic advisor and I start looking out the window and my mind wanders. Well, that's my mm-hmm. ADD that, that's kicking in of like, and it's important, it's, by the way, that's an important conversation I'm having with myself about something, yes. but I got to be in the moment, right? So, so mm-hmm. there are tools that I help, you know, I turn off my, my other website stuff. I sometimes like right now my window is closed, but again, from a learning perspective, we have to understand, you know, how do we help people in the organization because they don't have the same kind of learning styles. And by the way, you know, you know, studies show that we're seeing more kids and more adults being diagnosed with ADHD, mm-hmm. more people on the spectrum, that sort of thing. And, and like with for ADHD, I, I, I'm a believer that and studies show this is that technology is not helping that. Yeah. And so you have to understand how to ter- turn technology off and have peer to peer discussions. Right. So how do we break that down into if I'm doing virtual stuff is not the talking head, not a bunch of, you know, slides yeah. and stuff like that. It's like talk to each other. That mm-hmm. keeps me engaged. That keeps my little rabbit thing that keeps wants to go everywhere else, keeps me focused on on those things. So I think there's there's ways we can do this in, in the learning community that will help people. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I've learned so much over time about how people learn differently in different ways. Yeah. They can't talk at people too long. I definitely tune out in, in we'll call so we'll say boring meetings, but even if they're not, if it's too <laughs> there are, long. There are some of those. Um, I, I, I don't know if I have ADHD, but I am all over the place all the time too. And like, I've done a lot of things to help me focus you know, on the things I need to get done at certain times. And you're right. I mean, technology just creates so many more distractions. We really yes. need to have a plan for how are we going to harness this. I mean, I know you work in the tech world. I think all the time and, yeah. and tell people this, like, I love social media as a tool, but you have to remember that those apps and, and many others are designed by engineers in Silicon Valley who spend hundreds of hours just trying to figure out how to make it as addictive as possible, right? So that you'll you'll keep using it. 
Yeah, so there's a lot that I think needs to be considered and thought about there with regards to people's learning styles, taking technology into consideration, how it works for people, how it doesn't work for people, and knowing that there will be some some setbacks and and some challenges. What do you think is is one thing that L&D professionals or organizations can do better to take advantage or or sorry, something that L&D professionals or organizations can do better to accommodate people with different learning styles, especially those with uh, neurodiverse, mm-hmm. say, you know, conditions? Yeah, I think there's, there's two things I think, Andy, that, that I think stand out to me. One is ask, ask what you can do. Ask, how do we get better at this? What are we missing? And, and, and go, out to, go out to your learners and, and ask them. And, and you'll find that I think some of it's just surprising in that it's simple, simple things like, you know, like I said, is, is you know, we know that space repetition works for learning. And so, so if we're going to do things, let's, let's see, let's see if we can accommodate through, Hey, we're going to do this long, you know, learning when I say long, maybe it's a day long learning, but then also we're going to bite, you know, put that in bite-sized chunks in a podcast or something like that. So you can come to learning, but if you want to go back through and and re-listen to some of those things, you can. And so I think that if we ask that question, things like space learning and stuff like that are going to come out of that. There, you know, and, and the way our tool sets are being made is it allows us to do, you know, to do things a little bit differently. You know, so for example, in this podcast, you know, you can break this down to chapters. You can you can slice and dice this in, in ways that says, hey, I, you know, if you just want to learn about neurodiversity and learning, great, go, you know, here's the chapter on that. Or if you want to find out more about what Darren says about the skills framework, great. And and a lot of that's, you know, again, is our tool sets are, are getting so good that, you know, we can automate some of that stuff. So, you know, I rarely create a PowerPoint anymore. I create, you know, a, an outline that I use that outline to create PowerPoint and to create, you know, a script for a podcast or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I think if we ask the question and then think about, think about, you know, what what does it mean to be neurodiverse? And, and you know, is it something where maybe they, they maybe they need a quiet room to, to, to listen to a podcast or something like that? So I think we can do lots of accommodation. I think if you partner with HR and ask them that same question of like, you know, if you're not an expert and I'm not, you know, again, I have my own, you know, my own, you know, uh, neurodiversity um, opportunities, you know, and I know how I learn, but it's gonna be a little bit different. But I think we can do some accommodations based on, you know, asking what they need and then doing some of those things like space repetition and, you know, learning, you know, through different ways and and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, I like it. Uh, great advice. Speaking of different ways of learning, one way people love to learn is live in at events and in in environments where they're around other people who are learning together. I think we've seen that is definitely true when, you know, throughout the pandemic, so many companies were forced to pivot from live to virtual, right? right? And virtual is is here to stay. Lots of companies and organizations and conferences still doing virtual. And yet when you go to live conferences, you see that people are coming back in droves because they love learning and being around other people. You host an annual conference in Seattle called Learnapalooza. You have yeah. the next iteration. I think this is number eight, right? Coming up on October 6th in Seattle. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about the conference and what people can expect. Yeah, so Learnapalooza, we started this eight years ago and it was really focused on innovation and disruption in the learning and development field. So we really love it when people bring in new ideas uh, about how people you know, can develop learning, how you know they've seen different parts of an organization adjust to things like the pivot, you know, 
And so, you know, how do you, how do you do really good virtual learning? You know, it is one of those, one of those big questions still out there. And, and it's, it goes beyond just, Hey, let's use breakout rooms. You know, Andy, you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you're going to do some polling and stuff like that. Those are the kinds of things that we need to put in this, but, but sometimes we don't get educated on it. Right. So even with our own space. And so, so we invite people to join our conference for just that is, is, you know, is if you want to learn something interesting and new about the learning space and, and how, and it's not, by the way, it's not just about technology. It's about last year, we had a, a, a person come in, Betty Danowitz, who is an amazing person, a good friend of mine, or has become a good friend of mine. And she used puppets, to talk mm-hmm. about imposter syndrome and facilitate really rich discussions on you know, because we've all had it, I think at one time or another, I know my first 15 years of being in learning and development, I had this, I had imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to, I went to, I went to college for photography, commercial photography. That <laughs> is, is a world away from learning and development. So, but to be able to, you know, when she submitted her proposal and she got through the blind RFE process, I was like, this is amazing. And it turned out to be even more amazing than I thought it'd be because of the way she did it. It was just something really different and something that, that people wanted to, so what, so people can wait with, yes, they're like, oh, I feel better about myself, but also they're like, she used puppets to do mm. this and, and to interact and, and that sort of thing. So those kinds of things. And then the other thing we do, and is we reinvent ourselves every year, which is probably why I have less hair on the top of my head and more white in my beard. But we don't do we don't do a rinse and repeat. And so what you'll find is, you know, from year one, we year one we did a afternoon uh, hackathon. So we hack a, you know, we said, what's the future of learning look like? And we did a hackathon. And then every year since then, we've done things like speed learning, which is 10 minutes of, of, of learning, you know, w- around a table with, you know, with 10 people, and then you get a buzzer and then you go to another table. So it's kind of like speed gaining, but for, but it's, but it's learning. And so every year we do things a little bit differently. So you'll find that our sessions are not this year. We have 45 minute session and 20 minute sessions hmm. and people are confused by that. They're like, why isn't it an hour? Why isn't it, you know? Yeah. Can you really get things done in 20 minutes? And the answer is yes, you can. Yeah. And, and, and we're, you know, and again, so, so you'll see a non-traditional keynotes, you'll see some, you know, so a mix of things this year, especially where we've got a couple of really just fascinating things that are going to happen. And by the way, we're also doing it in, in a hybrid manner in that you can be on site, you know, so we have uh, 200 tickets, we, we cap it at 250 people, but we have mm-hmm. 200 tickets still for sale that, you know, registration. So if you want to be here on site, if you want to come virtually, you can. But the interesting thing about the virtual part of it, and, I, and we're, you were partnering with John Chen, engaging in virtual meetings, who's just a mastermind, is mm-hmm. if you're online, you're going to feel as close to being in person as you possibly can. And I guarantee you that it will be much different than any other virtual conference you've been in. And it mm-hmm. won't be that it won't be that you're just watching people in a room doing something. You'll be able to interact with people in the room. You, if you ask a question, we're going to put you on the big screen. Everybody in the room is going to see you, hear your question, and, and and that sort of thing. So so again, we just we just do things differently. We try to push push ourselves and our speakers and sponsors to think differently about yeah. um, how do we educate people in in such a way that makes them want to come back. And eight years later, we're still doing it and having That's- fun with it. That is really awesome. I love that approach. I love how you set things up. I am looking forward to hopefully attending one day. I definitely want to try to get there. I've got the date marked on my calendar. Mm-hmm. And you know, the funny thing is, you and I first connected. We we talked about hosting conferences. You know, I hosted my yeah. own twice now, the Talent Development Think Tank conference. And the yep. reason I started it was because I had been to so many conferences, found them to be so boring, and thought we could do something better. Right. Like we're in L and D, we can create experiential you know, sessions 
And so invited facilitators to come in. And, you know, when we had ours this year, I challenged all of our, our speakers, facilitators to, to run their session without slides and, and do things, make them more interactive. Awesome. But the funny awesome. thing is, you know, organizing these two conferences that I've done so far in the last three years has been so much work. If I knew about yours, I never would have done it. I would have just said, oh, let's just go to Darren's. Let's, like, he's partner, right? let's do a partnership then, right? He's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, already yeah, created yeah. I had no idea. So yeah. we'll talk more about that later. Um, but I hope people will check it out. The, the website is learnapalooza8, the number eight. Dot com. Uh, all yep. the info is there with the speakers, the sessions, the, the date, the location. It's October 6th in Seattle, the registration, uh, all that stuff. So I hope you will check that out. Darren, the last thing, we started by talking about the session you ran at ATD on skills mapping. As you know, and, and many of our listeners know, I run a membership community called the Talent Development Think Tank based on that first conference that is all about helping people learn the latest trends, stay up on what's going on in the world of talent development and really uh, interact with speakers and each other and build their network. So I would love to have you come run a session, run that session again, if you can do it virtually inside our community in the coming months. Uh, I would be happy to. Yeah, cool. it's a, yeah, I'd love it. I'd be happy to. And yes, we. I think it'd be interesting to do it virtually because I do think we can do some, some really interactive things and, and have a lot of fun with it too. Awesome. We're going to give you two minutes. No, I'm just joking. It's, it'll be a little okay. longer than that. Ah. <laughs> I know you like to change things up and chat. No, seven minutes. We'll get you booked in for that. Uh, for those listening, if you're not a member yet of the Think Tank community, definitely come join us. We're actually offering a free trial right now to come check it out. And you can come in and look at our library of content as well as our upcoming sessions. Uh, hopefully join uh, Darren's session. Uh, you can find all that info at, at talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. And if you're interested in attending uh, Darren's conference, Learn a Palooza 8, the website is learnapalooza8, the number 8.com. Darren, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing some of your knowledge and experience. You are Definitely someone I'm very, very grateful I connected with, and I look forward to keeping in touch and talking more. Yeah. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. I, I'm, again, honored to, to be here and, and honored to have met you in person. And, and, and yeah, just, just such a great community you're building. So I, I appreciate that. We, we, all, we all think, you and I think alike, is that there, it should be about people and community. Love it. Well, we will keep in touch and talk more. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Talk to you next time. All right, that'll do it for my interview with Darren Nerland, all about skills mapping and thinking about where things are going. I really liked the way he thinks about this and especially his advice for how to get started, really thinking about you know what is your strategy? Where is the company going, the industry going? What sort of skills will you be needing in the future? Start to map those out, create the competencies that are going to be necessary, and then look at how can we evaluate the talent that already exists in our organization and help people upskill, reskill, and move around to move into those new types of roles or jump on those different projects before we even start creating quote unquote job descriptions and hiring from outside? There's so much opportunity there. I see so many companies that are investing now in creating an internal talent marketplace. I've got an interview coming up with a head of talent who is doing just that at a big tech company and lots of things going on in that space. And then as you're thinking about creating that talent marketplace, 
and mapping those skills. You also have to, as I mentioned in the interview, we didn't go into it, but you got to create the right culture. You've got to create the right mindset for leaders and for employees, individual contributors that they're looking for and they're open to moving into different types of roles and really that they're taking ownership of their careers, right? Which is something that I talk a lot about. You know, as you probably know, I have a book called Own Your Career, Own Your Life. I have another podcast called The Own Your Career Show, which you can check out anytime if you're looking for inspiration on owning your career. And I also speak in a lot of organizations on the topic of owning your career. I've got a big keynote coming up this week for a huge financial services firm speaking to several thousand people about how to go about owning their careers so that they take advantage more of the resources that are available. It has the potential to make a huge impact. So if that's something you're interested in, feel free to reach out to me. If you uh, want to connect with Darren, feel free to connect with him on LinkedIn. He's pretty active on there. And we are going to get Darren booked for a session in the Talent Development Think Tank community. We have calls every Wednesday. We often bring in guest speakers, oftentimes guests from this podcast, to dive deeper on the topics they talked about, to answer questions, to interact with our group. And our community is all about connecting with each other and really helping each other learn and grow, improve their capabilities and their careers in talent development. That's what we're all about. And if you're not a member yet, you got to come check us out because we've got some great sessions coming up, including Darren's and many others. And right now, as I lease this in July, we are offering a free trial. So you can actually come in and join two of our calls, check out some of our content for free before you even start paying and see if it's a good fit, if it's if it's right for you. Almost everybody who joins stays because they love it, but sometimes it may not be a right fit, you know, a good fit. Maybe you don't have the time, but come check us out. The website is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. You can click on community there. And if you go ahead and join, you can also, when you join, uh, put in the code podcast to get a 10% off discount off the regular price of the community. And if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or email. I'll be happy to chat. But we are onboarding some really great people in the community. We started an entrepreneur group recently. Of course, we have our main all-access level for those people in talent development who want to keep upping their game and connecting with others. And again, all the information is on our website, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. you got to come check us out. Click on community, join with the free trial, use the discount code podcast, and, and let us know what you think. But either way, thank you for listening. I really appreciate you and I hope you'll tune in next time for our bonus Q&A with Darren Nerland. Stay tuned.